You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Jedediah Berry's short stories have appeared in Best New American Voices and Best American Fantasy. He works as assistant editor of Small Beer Press. His first novel is The Manual of Detection. Thank you for joining me, Jedediah. Thank you. Though you describe a, a sing, single city, and, and the, the novel takes place in, in, in a single city, in a sense there are really kind of two cities overlapping one another. And, and this is more than just the usual overworld and underworld, though those are present too. And I'd like you to talk about you know, the importance of the underworld, both a psychological and, and uh, metaphysical, and the actual underworld in, in this novel and, and in terms of, of hard-boiled uh, detective fiction in general, how that kind of, in, how the traditional view of the underworld informed your view of this imaginary underworld in an imaginary city? Well, I think in a lot of hard-boiled detective fiction, in, in, in the best of hard-boiled detective fiction, there is a real unease that you can you can feel on the page. There's a, a sense of menace, and you see it portrayed in film noir certainly, uh, with with the sort of long shadows and 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 the the the, the, the long shots and the, the darkened uh, streets where you can't always make out exactly what's going on. And this this unease is something I I, I wanted to tap into here. Unwin is a character who has lived very much on the. On, on the lit surface of things, and but beneath that, and perhaps by 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 he, he perhaps he's brought this upon himself by that initial transgression that you mentioned of of kind of stalking this woman uh, in a train station and acting more like a detective or something worse uh, than than the file clerk that he is. He he has to cross over and enter this this other side of the city, and I I I'm I'm wary of of too many. Dualisms. I mean, th- there is certainly a play with the notions of conscious and unconscious here, and uh, the notions of chaos and order. But these things, I think, are much more mixed up than we we generally uh, tend to uh, want to believe. And this in 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 the city, these things are are shown to be mixed up. The boundaries are permeable, and crossing between one and the other is um, is very easy and uh, and and very dangerous. And the whole enterprise really hangs uh, on on a kind of edge and Unwin walks that edge throughout this book and where he comes out at, at the other end is is um, well it's not something I actually want to reveal entirely but 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 it's it's something that's that's left uh, open to some extent because of, of what he's experienced he's he's you know he's changed he's become a detective in spite of himself but he's also uh, experienced kind of both sides of the coin. Let's hear another reading by Jedediah Berry from his novel, The Manual of Detection. Last night, the alarm clocks were stolen by a gang of sleepwalkers, Unwin said. I saw one or two people emerge from every building we passed. They must have broken into each apartment and taken the clocks. They thought they were going to a party to drink and gamble, but really they, they were delivering their plunder to the rooks. Miss Greenwood was there, singing to them, and Detective Pith was shot because he discovered the operation. Moore shook his head. There's something we're missing, then, some tool the enemy has acquired. 
A battle is underway, Mr. Unwin, the last maybe in a long and quiet war. I don't understand the meaning of the maneuvers, only the stakes. Hoffman's desire for vengeance has grown in the years since his defeat on November 12th. The gambling parlors, the protection rackets, the black markets, these have always been a means to an end, a web from which to feed through the long years of his preparations. His true goal is the destruction of the boundary between the city's rational mind and the violent delirium of its lunatic dreams. His ideal world is a carnival, everything illusory, everything in flux. We'd all be butterflies dreaming we were people if he had his way. Only the agency's rigorous adherence to the principles of order and reason have held him in check. Your work, Mr. Unwin, and mine. From the north came the sounds of traffic, of the city awakening. Unwin's clothes were torn and bloodstained. How many people would have seen his name in the papers by now? It would not be good for his defense, he thought, to be found covered in another man's blood. He wondered whether there was a subway station nearby, one with access to the eight train. You realize by now that your search for Savart is hopeless, Moore said. He is probably dead. Now, uh, this book is really finely written. The, the prose is really beautiful, and I think it's a real integral part. The way you tell the story in a hard-boiled detective novel, especially when it's set in an imaginary city, is in many ways as important as the story. And uh, let's talk about the the one style of prose you use, and it's just totally enjoyable, are, are these faux uh, manual entries. And I'd like you to just read a couple of your favorites. Could you just grab a, and read for us a couple of your favorite uh, detection uh, manual entries? Sure. Well, one of my favorites is the first on uh, chapter one on shadowing. The expert detective's pursuit will go unnoticed, but not because he is unremarkable. Rather, like the suspect's shadow, he will appear as though he is meant to be there. Um, I, I like that one, I think, because it's it, it has several applications. Uh, not only is Unwin, in a way, Savart's shadow, he is shadowing the woman in the plaid coat at the beginning of the book. And the idea of shadows, of course, is just so important. Uh, you know, that which is obscured in, is is so central to the notion of, of mysteries. And so beginning with, with shadowing just seemed like the natural choice. Um, let me find another one. It's been a while since I've looked at some of these. Uh, I think I kind of like On Nemeses, which is chapter 14. There is no better way to understand your own motives and dispositions than by finding someone to act as your opposite, uh, which simply you know ties into the, the, the notions that, that we were talking about of those dualities. Um, but uh, I, I kind of like the idea that you have to cultivate your own nemesis in order to become more of who you are. And that's that's something that's explored in the book quite a bit. Now, uh, let's talk about the the rest of the the, pro, the descriptive prose you use and the dialogue. I mean, descriptive prose and dialogue are two of the things that make, you know, hard-boiled mysteries really stand out as a genre and, and bring what might otherwise be, you know, uh, dismissed to a certain extent as just genre fiction into a world that I think is a lot more literary than, than mm. one might first uh, presume. Uh, so could you talk about creating these kind of, because you do such a great job of uh, creating these kind of dark, rainy, windswept uh, 
uh, landscapes and, and the you know the 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 women the way you describe the women in the book. Could you talk about uh, choosing the words and and writing this prose? Did it require? Did it just flow off the tip of your pen or <laughs> or your word processor, or did you have to go back and and really wrench it into into shape? Well, that 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 for me is something that always is changing. Uh, when I'm working at my best, it does. Uh, flow right off the word processor, and uh, that's but that's all too rare and wonderful an experience. I labor over my sentences really carefully, I'm kind of a, a revise as you go writer, and I have a, this is maybe a problem because I have trouble kind of uh, moving through a draft quickly. I tend to work on every scene until it sounds just right to my ear, and I do a, a lot of reading out loud to myself to make sure it sounds it sounds right as well. Uh, you know the the dialogue in this book was a lot of fun to work with because uh, there are to my mind um different kinds of speech and this was something i became aware of uh, as much from watching some film noir as from reading uh, hard-boiled mystery novels so, there's so much power in dialogue so much is accomplished by words and people establish their presence by 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 what they say and there is the tough guy persona uh, there you know there are goons and thugs and then and there are those who have to find their way around uh, these expressions of power by more subtle means or, or, or by manipulations um, Unwin him is has come from the language of the file clerk he is he, he all he knows is how to be precise and to the point and this really doesn't serve him well in that world. He has to he has to adjust pretty quickly when he is dealing with uh, detectives who are ready to, to smack him down and um, with, um, you know, the mysterious clients who are up to more than they seem. And so, it, and the other thing I, you know, I, I kept noticing in, in, in the books and in the films is that People don't answer questions. When, when, when you ask a question, uh, you get a question in response. And that actually has been something which I've, I've, I've really found helpful, not just in writing dialogue in this book, but, but elsewhere. Uh, it, it's, it, the, 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 the spoken word should keep going. It doesn't uh, begin and end. It's a constant flow, and it's a game that, uh, that the characters are playing with each other because everyone knows something and they need to know what the other person knows. And so it's really uh, like a complicated game of chess that takes place. Now, one of the main players of this game of chess that takes place in your novel is Enoch Hoffman, and he's the proprietor of Caligari's (laughs) Carnival. This is like one of the... You you do get a couple of uh, things in here that, you know, readers can pretty much clearly identify as coming from our world. And, and I love your choices. Could you talk about creating this character? And this also takes us, too, to the to the next thing we want to talk about, is uh, the weird fiction aspect of this. But let's start with talking with Enoch Hoffman. Sure. Enoch Hoffman is a former stage magician. He came with Caligari's Carnival to the city. And at some point, uh, Caligari himself disappeared, and we are left with Enoch Hoffman and his his kind of his inner circle, who are eventually kind of running the criminal underworld of the city and using the Travels No More Carnival as their base of operations. He is a ventriloquist. He is a biloquist. He can he can speak in many voices. He uh, is a trickster character, and. 
he is also the 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 villain in the book, uh, the or at least the 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 most obvious villain, and it's a role that he 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 enjoys playing, and but he's also been in hiding for many years at the at the start of the novel, and it's really uh, his his return uh, that is precipitating so much of what's going on in the book. Let's talk about some of the 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 weird fiction aspects of this book because this isn't like every other mystery. This goes places where lots of mysteries don't go. And and I'm wondering about your decision. This seems like a decision that was in place before the book really started. You always knew that this hard-boiled mystery was going to deal in things that most hard-boiled mysteries, uh, uh, though they allude to, they don't uh, include as plot points. Okay, right. Right. I, I and I, I have I have trouble writing things that are not weird in some way. It's just part of my natural inclinations. I think that I end up uh, it, it, trying to upset what I see as as a as an order that has already been established. And so there are there are fantastic elements to this book. There are, are things going on that that you know do not happen in in the real world as as we understand it. And you know, th- but this 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 comes into questions of genre, of course, and you know we could say that it's combining elements of fantasy and mystery. Uh, it, but I, you know, I, I'm someone who, I guess, my ideal bookstore does not have sh- shelves set out for specific genres. It would it would all be fiction. Uh, I really see uh, a continuum between things, and I I think we're we're always trying to give names to uh, these works that fall between genres and there are so many names for it now and I think that's partly because our 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 notions of of genre have become uh so solid and and what we see as fantasy or mystery is is almost too narrow and so thus the proliferation of things like slipstream fiction or or uh new weird or new wave fabulism we 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 have so many so many names for it but uh but it's fun to appropriate the the material that has come out of the codification of genre, and and I, I, I see that stuff as as really a kind of raw material, and and somewhat interchangeable. The you know all of the the figures and objects familiar from mist from detect hard boiled detective fiction, uh, you know the the hats and the guns and the the thugs and the dames, uh, you know it's this is surface stuff, and to me it's analogous to the the princes and princesses and and swords of a fairy tale. And you can take that material because it has a, a, a cultural resonance to it now and interchange it with, with, um, with other things, uh, move it around, and uh, the result is, is, is a lot of fun to work with and hopefully fun to read. Now let's hear another reading by Jedediah Berry from his novel The Manual of Detection. Maybe he should have told her that he would remain a detective, that she would still be his assistant. Better yet, they could act as partners, the meticulous dreamer and his somnolent sidekick. Together they would untangle the knots Enoch Hoffman and his villainous cohorts had tied in the city in its dreams. Their suspects would be disarmed by his clerkly demeanor. She would ask the tough questions and do most of the driving. They would track down every error Savart had committed, resolve all the great cases, set the record straight. Their reports would be precise, complete, and timely, the envy of every clerk on the 14th floor. But he had not even cleared his name yet, and Emily now would also be hunted. It, it really did strike me that, in a way that, even though this city is very familiar and, and it seems grounded 
very much in realism. It it ha- also is a city that's completely fantastic and as much a fantasy, as it were, as anything out of uh, Lord of the Rings or, you know, any of the newer kind of fantasies out there as well. I, the, one, of, one of the writers who I had very much in mind while I was working on this is uh, Italo Calvino, whose book Invisible Cities uses the city as a, as a sort of metaphor or as a, a number of, of metaphors. Uh, it's a, a a kind of an imaginary travel log of um, all of these imaginary cities, and there's something about cities which which just lend lends itself to to a kind of interpretation. It's they're 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 modular, and you can transfigure them, uh, and that's uh, that's something I knew I wanted to do in this book. I, I wanted to have this this cityscape, which would hopefully um, f- feel like um, a, a kind of mythic. Uh, playground where where what's happening there uh, everything is kind of fraught with with a kind of meaning and while hopefully it doesn't attach itself to anything too specifically I wouldn't want to call it allegory uh, it, it does hopefully evoke a kind of feeling of a fable it it's remi- I just kept waiting for it be, to be named Bay City yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also, but it's more than just a city of buildings and and structures and, and places and people going through it. And, and you start to talk about a, a rin, this a very interesting notion um, that comes back and again and around again and again is the idea of a mind palace. And could you talk about how that I concept informed this novel? Hmm. Well, there is a one of the main characters in the book has purposefully erased his his memory of things and you know we this comes back to the the you know the the Chesterton novel the man who knew too much uh you know the idea in 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 the mystery genre that knowing is what you you are trying to do you are trying to seek knowledge but having too much knowledge is actually a dangerous thing because it makes you a threat to the people who do not want these things known and so memory became important uh because a, we, we, well, we do. We have this character who who has forgotten what he's what he knows because it is too dangerous, and what is memory as well, but a sort of constructed official record, and that is the agency's business in the book. They are in the business of creating an official record and making sure that it is the record that they want seen, and so memory becomes something which is dangerously codified in, 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 in the beginning of the book and which uh, must be um, altered uh, and, and changed and, and, and made uh, a little more uh, slippery in order for things to be closer to the true. In, in a sense, this is uh, becomes a novel where it's desirable for evil to <laughs> triumph. Mm. Right. I, yeah. And, and again, I, I hate to I hate to use too many dualisms to call it good or evil, uh, but it's true that there things have things have tipped too far in one direction in the book, and it's it's what what becomes important is is the the opposing side in order for things to to work as they should. Uh, it's um, you know, disorder might be better than evil. There the 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 true. You know the the true evil in in this book is 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 um, portrayed as a as a desire for control, and uh, it's when things are controlled too uh, tightly 
that um, I think real evil has a, has a chance to exist. So out of curiosity, One, have you spoken with China Mieville yet? Uh, not about this book. Oh, okay. Not about his new book. He, uh, that, when, that comes on Tuesday. I see. When, when I saw him, he, he told me that he had um, a name for, for this genre, actually, uh, which maybe he'll tell you. It's, it's noir, N-O-I-R-D, for, for noir, weird noir. And I kind of, I kind of like that. <laughs> I, I I do too. <laughs> that's a, that's a, very cool. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the things that I think is is very interesting in this book is the way y- you've designed a a world that's kind of based around anonymity and, and characterization that in a way is done by negation, by what people don't do. And and Moore is the perfect example of a character mm. who's defined by negation, and that's pretty challenging to set yourself up where in a world where pretty much everybody's anonymous. Yes. Those people who aren't anonymous are less than nothing. Could you talk about the challenges of creating compelling characters out of negation and an anonymity? Well, uh, boy, that's a good question. I I hadn't entirely thought of it that way because so many of the characters I think of as being uh, almost archetypal. They're um, they're so much themselves. They're they're like comic book villains or or, or comic book heroes. Uh, and so I guess uh, the the those characters who are not uh, that those do not have those huge personalities do do feel almost negated. They 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 do lead anonymous lives, and both both Unwin and 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 Moore, uh, Edwin Moore. Are 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 thrown out of the comfort of being anonymous in this book. They 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 need to kind of rise into that other world, but hopefully they end up seeming more like my like real people uh, because of that. The you know the the others I don't mind saying are 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 not very real characters at all. These are these are uh, uh, absurd kind of um, representations of of. These almost mythical figures that that we we see in, in in books and film, and they're complicated in some ways. Uh, they they are fallible and and uh, they make mistakes and they they have um, oddities about them, which 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 make them a, a little different from the norm. But in in still in contrast to them, the the, the file clerk and the and the um, and, and and the man who has made himself forget are uh, are are almost invisible. But it's it's it, it is those characters who are shown to have uh, some real power to change things. We're going to hear another reading by Jedediah Berry from his novel, The Manual of Detection. On dream detection, among the many dangers associated with this technique, if it may be so characterized, is the possibility that its practitioner, upon waking may wonder whether everything he has seen was real or simply a construct of his own fancy. Indeed, the author of this manual cannot claim with certainty that the technique described in these pages actually exists. Uh, now, you do some really great stuff with uh, various mystery tropes. Um, I love this all these great the crimes of the past that, that you talk about mm. with these Holmesian names. Yes. And also you, you have this kind of, this is a recursive mystery. I mean, it's being written while you, it, the, the writing of this book is part of the plot of this book. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and, and as I said, I was, I was very new to 
mystery fiction when I started this book. I stumbled kind of accidentally into the genre. I, I knew I wanted this organization called The Agency, but I didn't know uh, until I was a little way in that it was going to be a mystery-solving organization and that I would therefore need detectives. So I was doing a lot of homework while I was writing this. I was, uh, as quickly as I could, reading uh, mystery fiction. I, I certainly read the Arthur Conan Doyle stories. I read a lot of G.K. Chesterton, his Father Brown mysteries, and uh, his his book, The Man Who Is Thursday, which has long been a favorite of mine. Uh, and then worked my way up to the the, the hard boiled uh, genre fiction of um, Dashiell Hammett and, and Raymond Chandler. And it's it both of those worlds. I, ho- I hope kind of have kind of found their way into uh, the this one that I've created. We, we have the, the sort of hard-boiled detective as personified by, by Travis Savart, who is absent but who is present in the book through the, the case files that, that we get uh, excerpts from. And, but, but Unwin is, is, belongs more to that old order. He's, he's the kind of bumbling amateur detective uh, of, of a sort of cozy mystery. Uh, and even, even, even though he's a file clerk, he has certain skills which turn out to make him, uh, you know, some pretty good at detective work. He, he hasn't, he has an eye for detail, and that's something that serves him well. Let's hear another reading by Jedediah Berry, from his novel *The Manual of Detection*. Unwin dreamed that he woke in his own bed, that he got up and put on his robe. He dreamed himself a nice hot shower, no time for a bath. And because he was a meticulous dreamer, he took care to tie the right tie this morning and to turn off the stove before his oatmeal burned. He did not want to be late. He carried his shoes to the door and put them on in the hall, just as he always did. He almost picked up his umbrella, then remembered that he had dreamed the sun out and the clouds gone. Outside, the street lights were still on, and the only vehicles moving were delivery trucks bringing bottles of milk and soda water. The bakery across the street had its door open, and he could smell the bread on the cool air. We have a, a a book where we've got memory and dreams as and uh, as being really important themes, and and I love your fixation with clocks and <laughs> sleepwalking. Yes. Uh, do you sleepwalk? I did a lot when uh, when I was younger. It's been a long time, but when uh, in my in my early teens, I would wake up in different parts of of my parents' house. I once got dressed and was uh, walking up the driveway on my way to school before I realized it was, you know, three or four in the morning and, uh, and I was sleepwalking. And that, that, actually, that, that experience actually f- does find its way into this book. It's something that, that happens to Unwin. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I can explain my obsession with, with clocks and with sleepwalkers. It's, those are things that I just keep coming back to. Uh, they are mysterious to me, and and I, I there's there's something about them that I, I have to I have to write down. Um, but I, I guess you know I mean, clocks are, are are this this these machines of of order of 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 timekeeping obviously of 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 keeping track, and uh, so they the the clocks make sense that they, they they have the, their presence in this book kind of fits in uh into with with that and and a sleepwalker i guess is almost the opposite of a clock it's uh you know someone who who is awake and not awake at the same time and uh you know you, we have all these of course old wives tales about the sleepwalkers you know don't 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 wake a sleepwalker it's it's dangerous these sorts of things and so you know they're 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 strange and 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 curious figures and and i i a sleepwalker was one of the th- images that I did start 
the book with. I knew I wanted uh, sleepwalking criminals, you know, people who are who are doing things that they don't realize that they're doing uh, to kind of upset the order of things. So which is why we have at a certain point sleepwalkers stealing alarm clocks. Now, one of the things with with hard-boiled fiction, one of the major aspects of it is that your characters are generally at the end of the story alive and ready to solve another crime. Mm-hmm. And many of these, you know, most famous books are, are series books. Did you, when you started this, did you intend to make it a series? Or, and having finished it, do you now intend to make it a series? Hmm. Well, first to add to that, I would say not only alive and ready to solve other mysteries, but also very much damaged and altered by the process of solving mysteries. Uh, somehow coming into contact with that which is hidden has has changed them. And you see the kind of the kind of burden that has been added to them, which is something that I, I find really compelling about, about hard-boiled detective fiction. Uh, I, I did not write the book thinking I would write a sequel. I don't plan to write a sequel anytime soon. Uh, I, there are too many other projects that I, I have in mind. Uh, that said, it, it's, it's, it's a world that I really enjoyed spending time in, and I could imagine returning there eventually. Uh, you talked about spending time in that world. When you were creating this book and spending all the time in that, that world, how did you come back from those experiences to view the world you actually lived in? I, boy, uh, you know, there there are aspects of of the main character, and I, I think this is inevitable, of course, that that or something, some degree of of self portrait is going on. Uh, Unwin, you know, as as someone who has lived uh, among the written word, someone who has experienced the world through books, uh, which is something that I identify with, and uh, the. I, I was I was trying to jolt him out of that. I think in in a roundabout way of kind of jolting myself a little bit, uh, and I, I don't I don't know what that all adds up to exactly, um, but but I'll, I'll I'm going to take that with me and see what happens. I've been speaking with Jedediah Barry. His first novel is The Manual of Detection. Thank you for speaking with me, Jed. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.